Good morning, Grove Church. How are you guys doing? Good. Dave's doing fantastic. Um, so if you guys don't know me, my name is Zach. I am the pastor here at the Grove Church, um, and I'm really excited this morning. Um, this is a fantastic passage of scripture. When we think about uh, James, and, and, and we went through yes uh, last week, we just went through um, one verse, and so I know you guys thought, man, this is going to be a long series, but we jumped through a lot more verses today, um, and we'll, we'll get to all those, but uh, we've looked at who this guy is, who is James, we made the case that James is the half-brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus, and so uh, James doubted Jesus, he didn't believe, he didn't honor Jesus, uh, Jesus died on the cross, and then he, after he raised from the dead, he appeared to James, and James began to believe, and James began to worship with the church, and James became a leader in the church, um, and James would lead the church in Jerusalem. Um, and so he's writing this letter to the, the Jewish uh, Christians who have been spread out among, uh, across the land, and he's writing this letter. It's, it's probably one of the earliest things written in the New Testament, so one of the oldest things in the New Testament that we have. Um, and so James is reading this letter, and he introduces himself, and then he jumps right into uh, just some, 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 probably some tough stuff as we, if we think about it. Um, and so uh, we're going to go through this verse by verse together. But the thing I want us to really understand um, is that trials, because this is this idea he's talking about in this passage of scripture, is these trials that come to us, those are the pathway for Christian maturity. This is, this is what Christians believe about trials, is that this is our pathway. This is how we become more and more mature. So we think about how do we become more like Christ? It is through these trials. And so we'll, we'll talk about that um, as we go. But uh, the first thing we read here in James chapter 2 is, Count it all joy, my brothers. That includes sisters, talking about the people of God, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The first thing we see right here, is, is just we will meet trials, right? He doesn't say if you meet trials. He doesn't say, you know, if, you, if you're one of those people who are going to meet trials of various kinds, then go ahead and count that joy. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. When. It is this assurance, it's this certainty that you will meet trials. Um, and then there's this command to count it all joy. Now, that seems hard, right? I think we've, we, we've probably heard this verse sometime. If we grew up in Spruce Pine or around here where this verse is looked at, like, uh, it's used kind of religiously, like uh, someone's going through a hard time. Well, you know, count it joy, and you just kind of want to punch them in the face when they say that to you because you're in the midst of a trial, and that's not a fun thing to hear in the midst of a trial. Like, but this, you, you've probably heard this before, but this is the, it, is, it is this strange command to count it all joy when you meet trials, and you will meet them of various kinds, we live in a time, in an age, in a culture where we don't like to believe that we are going to meet trials. We don't like this idea that I am definitely going to meet trials. In fact, maybe some of us were told that if we come to Christ, if we pray this prayer in VBS, then like our life's going to get better. And that may be true, but it also may not be true. In fact, I was uh, early on in my uh, ministry here in, in this area, I remember uh, hearing this sermon preached in from the Old Testament, and, and they were taught, I don't want to get into the whole story, but this idea was that um, th this person's water was, this well was going to dry up. And they said, hey, you know, if God dries up your well, he's going to lead you to like a lake. Like it's going to get better. And sure, maybe. But sometimes your well dries up and then God leads you to the desert. And it just gets hotter and drier. 
And what James is saying is that's going to happen. And when that happens, kind of all joy. See, we, we live in this culture that loves this. Like, what's America's cultural Christianity favorite verse? It's, it's not John 3.16. It used to be probably, but it's not. It's Jeremiah 29.11. Like, this is the verse we love. We slept it on coffee cups. We put it on, like, pictures of sunsets. We throw it up on our Instagram. Like, this is the verse that we love to love. Jeremiah 29. So if you don't know what that says... Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. This is this promise that people claim to and they cling to when it comes to the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. They like love this verse because it means, it means that God's for me and like my life's gonna be okay. Like no matter, like this is gonna, it's gonna be okay. Like God has a plan for me in the future. And so like tomorrow's gonna be better. The next day, like it's going, there, there is some point in my life, the grass is going to get greener. God has this plan for me. And that's not the context in which this promise was given. It's just not. It, 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 if we're going to have this as our favorite verse, we need, it's a great verse, actually. But it not in that, that's not the context in which it was given. Like, people who, who, claim, who, who read that verse and they're like, man, this is so cool. God has this plan. Everything's going to work out for me because God has a plan for me. They haven't read Jeremiah. Like, Jeremiah is this heart-wrenching book Jeremiah has told the people of Israel that your dreams are not going to come true. See, what happened was, is, is that Israel, uh, the, the, the people of Israel, you have, you have Israel and Judah, these people were disobedient, they disobeyed God, and so God took some of them into, God allowed some of them to be taken to captivity into Babylon, and so they've been taken away in slavery and captivity, and they're in a new land, and some people have been left behind in Jerusalem. So there's two groups of people Jeremiah talks to in, the cha- in, in those chapters. Now, think about it. Jeremiah 29, 11. It's like towards the end of the book, we've got all like 29 chapters in front of it, right? Or 28 chapters in front of it. So he's, he's telling the story that, hey, the people in Jerusalem, and they're excited. They're, they, they feel good. They're, they're still at home. They have the temple. Like they've got everything going for them. And you know what Jeremiah tells them? God's judgment is coming for you. That's, that, that's the beginning of the book. And then, and then you have the people who've been taken to captivity. Jeremiah gives them some seemingly good news, but it's not that great. Jeremiah says, hey, at some point, you're the people God's going to use. You're the people God's going to use to save the world. Great things are going to happen through you, but not your generation. You're going to spend your entire lives in captivity. That's not incredible news, right? Like, that's, like, it's like you're, like, he says, make a home for yourself in Babylon because you're not leaving. Some future generation is going to leave, but not you guys. And so, this bad news is, is incapped with, but I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Like, this is a future thing that says, like, you guys aren't going to see this, but eventually this is going to be prosperous. Eventually, I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem, and through you, the son will be born who's going to save and, and forgive the sins of the world. Like, this is the story. And so we take that verse in its right context, and we can apply it to our trials, right? Like we're in the midst, some of us are in the midst of a trial even like right now. Like, to, like this morning was just tough. Like getting here was tough. Um, I, I would venture to guess there's people who aren't here this morning who, who are going through trials and it was just tough and they just didn't make it here this morning because there's things that are hard. Kids are out of control. And, and, and the thing I want to I say here is like if you're going through a trial, you're like, I don't know if this is the kind of trial that, that James is talking about. I, I want to just encourage you that the word various pretty much encapsulates everything, right? So if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, like, my kids are crazy. Well, that's, that, that's a various trial. 
or like, hey, my, my marriage is a train wreck. Like, it's all jacked up. I don't even know where to go from here. Well, that would be part of various, right? Like, man, like, our, our money situation, like, I feel like we don't have enough money. We're living paycheck to paycheck. Is that what James, yeah, James, that's various. Like, various kinds of trials. Like, anything you can imagine that's a trial, this is what James is talking about. And he says to count it all joy. Count it all joy. And you can, if, Jeremiah 29, 11, some people like to go so far as saying, uh, that was a promise to Israel, we shouldn't even think about that. I don't think that's necessarily true because the promise was about Christ. Paul would say all the promises are yes in Christ. And we are heirs to those promises as we become uh, spiritual children of Abraham. We, are, we, we get to claim that promise that yes, God has a plan for us and it is to prosper us, not to harm us. And that is the future kingdom that's to come. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next month. It's someday. God's future plan for us is to live with him forever. And that's good news. We, we can count it all joy. The reason we can count it all joy, he says, is because for you know, so there's something we should know, verse, in verse two, or verse three starts off, for you know, so we have to know this. So this is important, what, what James is talking about. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is saying, this is why you can count it joy, because you have to know that this is a testing of your faith, and that's going to produce steadfastness. And if you let steadfastness have its full effect, then you will become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That sounds good, right? Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Anyone want that? So what do we have to do to get there? We have to share in the sufferings of Christ, Paul would say. James would say, we have to count it joy. All, if we, when we meet trials of various kinds... We count it joy because we, we need to remember, we need to know that's a testing of our faith that produces steadfastness. And if we let that steadfastness have its full effect, we, will be, we may become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. This is the pathway to Christian maturity. Like there's no way to stumble into godliness. There's no way just to wake up one morning and be more like Christ. Like we go through trials. That's how we come like Christ. And, and he, here, here's, here's why, why we, we, we kind of know this, right? If today you're not going through a trial, like things just keep, things just seem to be going well in your life, what's your, what's your relationship with Christ like? It's probably not like it used to be, or maybe it's not that great because you feel like everything's just going really well, like I'm doing good stuff, I'm doing fine, everything's great. You, you don't understand your need for God. But man, when those trials come, when those dark nights come, we understand the depth of our need for Jesus. We understand the depth of our need for God. And God uses those times to draw us closer and closer to him. This is the pathway to Christian maturity. We have to understand that we will see trials. No matter what anyone else out here says, no matter what podcast says, what other preacher says, you, the Bible says you will meet trials. This is why it's important to understand scripture. This is why it's important to understand things in their context. And so yesterday we put on Facebook that we're, we're starting this uh, women's Bible study. We're super excited about it. You guys uh, are going to go through Genesis 1 through uh, Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 11. Um, it's going to be incredible. And that this is going to teach you how to study the Bible, how to read it, how to understand it's in its context. And you're going to be equipped to do that. And so like as your pastor, if you're a woman here at the Grove, like I just want to encourage you, figure out how to be at one of these. We, we, we were offering two uh, Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., so if, se- if, if, if a night works best for you, Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., but then also, if you know what nights don't work, we've got Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 
They'll, be, they'll both be here. And if you can figure out a way, and don't just, don't just sit there and be like, well, those times don't work. Like, figure out if you can rearrange. Ask your husband, hey, can you watch the kids? Or ask someone else, hey, can you do this? Can you take care of this? Can you take care of bedtime? Like, figure it out if you can make it. Because here's my hope for the women of the Grove, that we would move beyond these emotional, cheesy devotionals, and, we, and you would be women who love God, love his word, and have not just large hearts, but enlarged minds. You understand the depths of scripture, and you can teach that to others, and teach what you're learning. So this is our hope for you. And so if you can make time, make time and be here. Uh, we are so excited. You can register online. Um, it's $15, covers the cost of the workbook you'll get, um, and it is incredible material. So if you can be here, do that. But this is going to help you understand, because you hear things like Jeremiah 29, 11, or, or uh, in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and the context of that is not like play football games, right? Like Paul wasn't talking about I'm playing for a football team and I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. That's not the context of that verse. I'm sorry. It's not. But we can understand that. It doesn't just, like, not just me can be up here and teaching you guys that. Like, you can understand that. And we want to equip you to do so. Um, so the text continues on, um, and it gets difficult. There's this idea, um, that it's going to get difficult here in a second, even more difficult, I think. Verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's good news, right? And so it seems like James is changing the subject, but he's not. It seems like he's like, hey, you're going to go through various trials, count it joy. Also, if you're missing some wisdom, just ask, ask and it'll be given to you. He's talking about the wisdom to count it joy. Like he's not just changing the subject. He's not turning on a dime. He's, he's, he's continuing this thought of, hey, if you're going through trials and you don't have the wisdom to get through it, to count it joy, to see God in it, just ask. And if you ask, God will give it generously. That's a, that's a good answer to that question is I will give it generously to all who ask. That's good. So if you're going through trials, like today, this week, because sometimes it's not a day of trial, right? It's days of trials. You're going through this time, and you don't understand, and you're, just, you're having a hard time counting it joy, because it's hard to do that in the trial, seemingly impossible. Come to God and say, God, I need wisdom to see this. And he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But then it took, takes a turn in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Dang, right? Like, anyone else just read that and just feel deflated? Like, like God's like, or James is like, hey, if you need wisdom, just ask and be given to you generously, but don't have any doubts. Like, so like, this is weird because it seems like James is saying, hey, if you don't understand, just ask and God will help you understand. But if you have any doubts about it, then, then you don't even, don't even ask because you're not going to get anything. You shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. But you just told me if I don't understand, I should ask. Like, what am I supposed to do here? And, and I think there, there's really two prayers in this, in this passage here. It is one is the prayer for wisdom and the one is the prayer to help with your doubts. Because one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Mark 9. Uh, so you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 9, and I think we'll, we'll kind of get a better look of what James is talking about here. Uh, it'll be up here as well. Um, at least it should be. So Mark 9, starting in verse 14. Jesus is doing his ministry. He just revealed uh, himself to, to his closest friends that he is the Christ uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, 
they come back to the disciples, and it starts in verse 14, Mark 9, 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to, be, to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Like, this is an incredible story. Like, this is a real story. Again, I, I just plead with you, like, you've got to read the Bible like it's real. Jesus is, he comes to his disciples, they're arguing. Hey, what are you guys arguing about? And this guy says, teacher, I brought my son he has this spirit that makes him mute. I brought my son to your disciples. They could not cast him out. Jesus, bring him to me. He brings him to him. As soon as he gets there, the boy convulses down to the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus says, how long has this been happening? The father's like, oh, it's been happening since childhood. It's trying to throw him in the fire. It's trying to throw him in the water. It's trying to destroy him. If you could just do anything, like, if you, if you could just do anything, like, I know you, like, I just do this, please, if you could do anything. And Jesus kind of started out, like, if you can. I can do anything if you believe. And what's, what's the father's response? I believe, but, but help my unbelief. Like, can we resonate with that here this morning? Like, like some of us times, like, we, 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 we know, we, we believe, but we have this unbelief. And what is, how does Jesus respond to that? He heals the boy. Like, he, he takes the spirit out. Like, that was the belief that was enough for Jesus to do anything. He heals the boy. It looks like the boy's dead. Jesus takes him by the hand and he rises. Like this is an incredible story of Jesus helping this man with his doubt. He believed, but he needed help with his unbelief. This is not a double-minded man that James is talking about. But see, the double-minded man is the man who says like, no, everything's cool, I'm good, like I don't need help. I don't need help, I, I believe, but they really don't believe at all. People who just pretend like everything's okay, everything's fine, but things are not fine. So we, ha we have some of those people who are like, everything's fine, everything's going to be okay, even though their house is burning behind them. They're like, no, we're, we're, we'll, get to, we'll get to that at some point. Like, everything's fine, don't worry, don't look over here. I know my family's falling apart, but you look over there, like distraction, go over there, look over there. Like they, they pretend like everything's okay and nothing's okay. That's the double-minded man. Some of you, I, God, I, I love you, but you wonder why you struggle. Like, someone, someone, someone came up to me this week and was like, hey, I really want to get baptized, but, like, I don't, like, I don't know if I should. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't really follow God that well, like, yet. I'm like, well, who told you you would? Like, where did you get this idea from that you had to clean yourself up and you weren't going to struggle? Like, wh like, who told you that? It wasn't here. Where do you get this idea that you're not going to have doubts? 
Where have you heard that you're just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden, like, everything's going to be great, everything's going to be fine, your mind's clear of doubts, your heart's pure? Like, where did you hear that from? It's not the story of the Bible. It's not the story of God's people. You will have doubts. You will struggle. And you, you have to be honest about that and come to the Lord. Look, look, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not calling the person out for being honest. I'm calling the person out for not thinking that should be, should be the case. Like, be honest about your struggles. That's why we push home groups so hard. Like, we want to create a place for you to be honest. We want to create a place for you to, to live life with other people so that they can know who you are and you can be honest. Like, hey, um, my house is burning down. Can someone help me? Instead of just pretending like it's not. Like, this is... The, the, the prayer here is that we have to know we are going to struggle with doubt in our trials. We're going to think God's not good or not able to help us. And the reality is God is able. He is good. He will give you wisdom. Just ask. Don't pretend like you don't need it. Don't just do lip service to God and pretend like everything's okay. And ask because you know it's the right thing to ask. But ask because you really know you need it. And come to him and be honest. So James is, is telling us to count it all joy. He's saying if you're having a hard time understanding and doing that, ask God, he'll give generously, but don't just pretend like everything's okay and you don't really need it. Like you need to know that you need it and ask honestly. And it's gonna continue. He's gonna continue this idea of count it all joy, but you're gonna struggle counting it all joy for a couple reasons. One, because you're gonna have doubt and we'll get into the second one here. It's comparison. In verse nine, it says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers f- falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So James is going to say one of the fights you're going to get in during a trial is you're going to have to fight with yourself to compare yourself to others. He's telling the, the, the lowly brother should boast in his exaltation, even though he's lowly, and the rich and it's humiliation because that's going to fade. Here's what happens in our trials. You're having, you're ha- like stuff's happening in your life and it is horrible and it's, it's terrible and it hurts. And then what do you do? To numb it, you, you turn on, inst- you, you go to Instagram. You start scrolling through Instagram and everyone's life is fantastic on Instagram. Like people just look great. Looks like everyone's just counting money. Like they're just making it rain. Everyone's kids, like, they're just memorized Bible verses, and they love helping people. Everything looks fantastic on Instagram, yet you just downed a gallon of ice cream watching a Hulu, ep- like, episode for the fourth time, and you're comparing yourself to these people on Instagram thinking, why, why is my life not like that? Like, what have I done to deserve this, and these people get this? And you will compare yourself to others, and you'll begin to to resent them, you'll begin to resent God who, who has given them those things and, and hasn't given you those things. And, and, and there's two things here. And Instagram's like, I'm on it, but you, you gotta stop looking at it so much. I read this study last night um, from the UK, it was done in 2018. And Instagram, here's the psychological effects of Instagram on us um, it's not good. It is a, and across millennials, it's a leading cause of anxiety, depression. Loneliness, poor sleep quality, a negative impact on body image, and FOMO, or fear of missing out. Like, that's the effects of Instagram. The positive effect is community, feeling like you're part of a community, but I promise you, you can get that elsewhere without the negative effects. Like, 
Instagram is the worst. Facebook's not great. Snapchat's not that great. But Instagram literally was the worst among all those things. It's not helping you. Like when you're in the midst of trial, I'm not trying to say go delete it, but you need to wrestle with like, man, maybe I should set up some screen time limits on my, on my iPhone about how often I use Instagram. Maybe I should set up some, uh, so maybe I'm going to, because I know it's so bad for me, I'm going to invest into a Disney circle, which is this little device hooks up to your Wi-Fi, and it'll just cut off Instagram after a certain amount of time. And you can't, like, give the password to someone else. You can't turn it back on. Just have a certain amount of time every day. It cuts it off. Like, like this is how much this is hurting us. Because you're going to compare yourself, and you're not going to be able to help yourself. You're going to wonder, why don't I have those things? And look, I'm not dogging us. Like, like it's me too. Like, man, you're, you're scrolling through, like, you hear, I hear some bad news, like someone's leaving the church or someone's quitting something, and I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. I go on Instagram, like every other church is doing fantastic, and they're just adding numbers by the thousands. You're like, man, this sucks. Like, why is my life like this? <laughs> like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that. But um, uh, we'll put the other service on, you, on, on the line. Um, <laughs> but th- there's this idea that we just compare ourselves, and it, and it doesn't help. And, and, and here's what James says. I, I think, well, here's one thing I would say. Is this, it's often not true. Well, let's just be honest. You guys know it. Sometimes you guys pretend on Instagram too. It's not just other people. Sometimes you're like putting on like, like things on, on Instagram that look good and your kids aren't that well behaved. Your skin's not that smooth. You don't have that much money. Your truck's not that big. You just took it from the lower end. Like, like, you're, like you're taking these pictures to try and put on an image. This is not true. But also what James is saying here when he says that the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits, that things wither and die with the scorching heat. God's saying all things are level. Like even if this person's not going through a trial today, they will. Like so don't compare yourself. Don't, don't think you're on uneven playing field because you're not. All things are level in the end. So stop comparing yourself. You're gonna have to fight that and you need to know that so you can fight it well. I, I heard it this way that, that if you guys, how many of you guys have been, um, in a fist fight. Just raise your hand, anyone? I'm surprised by a couple of those. Um, that's interesting. But so you guys have been in a fist fight. The best thing that help in, ha- helps you in a fist fight is knowing it's about to happen. Like if it catches you off guard, it's just like, I don't care how much stronger you are, like you're at a huge disadvantage from the beginning. But if you know you're about to be in a fist fight, you've got like, you can, you can do stuff. And, and so James is warning us here, like you're about to, like if you're going through a trial, there's going to be a fight ahead of you. You're going to struggle with doubt. You're going to struggle with comparison. And if you can know that now, then you've got a better shot of fighting that in the future. So know that you are going to struggle with comparison. Continues on in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life. Man, like that's incredible news. That sounds like a crown that I'd want which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin is fully grown, uh, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here's the other thing that you need. This isn't a fight, but here's the thing that you need to remember when it comes to, 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 to your trials. Every good thing comes from God. You're going to struggle to count it joy in your trials, 
But if you can remember that every good thing in your life comes from God. Like he's not just talking about salvation here. That's a good gift, but that's not what he's talking about. Every good gift comes from God. You woke up this morning, you felt good, you stretched, you yawned, you felt good. That came from God. We don't think like that, though. We wake up in the morning, we feel good. It's because I eat good, because I exercise, and we think we do it. Here's why trials can be tough, and here's why we need trials, because we will often come to God in our trials, but when things are going well, who do we blame for that? Us. Right? Us. Like, like when, when, a, when a plane crashes, people blame God. When, when, a, when, a, when a school shooting happens, people blame God. Like all across the media, when bad things happen in this world, the world, not Christians necessarily, but the world will begin to blame God. But no one thanks God every day that stuff doesn't happen. Because we don't think about it like that. We think we do all this good, and when bad things happen, how could God let this happen? But when those things don't happen, we're like, well, we, we worked out, we did this, we saved a bunch of money, so we had enough money to do this. Like, we, I worked hard, so I got a promotion. Like, we think we do things. Every good gift does not come from you. It comes from God. Like, you worked hard because God gave you that spirit. Well, no, my dad taught me. Well, you didn't pick what dad you'd have, right? Like, all this stuff comes from God. You have to see that. Maybe you, you work hard and got that promotion in spite of who your dad is. God gave that to you. Like every good gift. It's not some good gifts, most good gifts. The, the Greek word for every here means every. Like it's just, it's translated perfectly. It means all the gifts. They all come from God. We need to remember that and thank him for that. And that will help us in the midst of trials. And I want to say two, two more things here. This last verse is my favorite verse. Because this, like, in, this, this ends this section on trials. It's incredible. Verse, four, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James, you will go through trials. You should count it joy. You're going to doubt, ask God, but make sure you're really asking him. Fight the fight of comparison. Remember, every good gift comes from God. And remember, God chose you. It was of his good will that he chose you. Like, this is the most important thing to remember in the midst of trial. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's come your way, and if you're not going through a trial now, I promise one's coming. Something's brewing out in the ocean. It's about this. Some storm's coming. God says, hey, I chose you. Like, you're mine. It was my will. Nothing you did made me choose you. I chose you of my own will. That's good news. Man, this is incredible news. I remember, my, so my, my dad, my dad, uh, I baptized my dad, I think a year and a half ago. And so he's been, he's been going to Bible studies, and he goes to this Bible study at the church I used to go to in California. And they're going through First and Second Peter. And in First and Second Peter, it talks about, like, election and how we've been chosen by God, and we've been elected, and it's just really cool stuff. So he's reading that, and he's like, in his mind, and I know he's probably going to listen, I don't want to embarrass him too much, but in his mind, he reads like election, he thinks like, you know, Republican and Democrat, and like elections, and, and so he's, 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 he's calling me, he's like, what does this mean that like we, we're, we're elected, and all this stuff, so I'm like, God, God chose you. That's what that means, is God chose you. And coming from the, the tall, uncoordinated, you know, skinny guy in, in, in elementary school who never got chose, 
for any sports or any, any team, except for volleyball, because I could just like stand at the net and just like hit things down, but nothing else. Like being chosen is incredible news. It's heartwarming. And so he's like, he was like, hey, so, so, so God chose me because he knew I would, I would choose him? No. The Bible just says God chose you. There's no qualifier. It was his own will that he chose you. Nothing you did. And my dad starts getting emotional because it's incredible news to hear that God chose you. Like you didn't like muster up enough faith or strength or anything. God has come to you and he has chosen, if you were in Christ, he has chosen you. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth, he called you. He said, you're going to be mine. Remember that. Because when the dark night of the soul comes, the fact that God has chosen me means I can't lose him. No matter what I do, I can't lose him because I didn't choose him. He chose me. He brought me. He saved me. I can't lose it. No matter what comes my way, I'm his. We have to remember that. We're going to go through trials, and I want to close with this one last thought. Is sometimes we think when something comes our way, it's punishment. Like, I hear this all the time. People say things like, oh, man, I know God's punished me for, for doing this, or God's punished me for doing that. It's just not true. Like, it's, there's nothing more anti-biblical that I could think of right now. Like, God's not punishing you for your sin if you're a Christian. If you have repented and believed in Christ, God is not punishing you. Because what that would mean, and you have to think about this, what that would mean is that God punished Jesus for your sins, and now he's punishing you for your sins. And that's unjust. God is not going to punish you twice for your sins. He's not going to punish Jesus on the cross and then, and then turn around and say, you know what, that wasn't enough. Jesus didn't suffer enough. I'm going to throw some cancer your way and maybe that'll be enough punishment. I'm going to, I'm going to break up your family and hurt you. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to make it to where you struggle with money for the rest of your life and, and just can't seem to make enough. Like, I'm going to throw those things your way as punishment. That's not what's happening here. It's not punishment. That would be an unjust God. He, Here's the thing I want you to think. Uh, several years ago, maybe a couple years ago, my son's playing outside, and he, he steps on some piece of wood, and he gets a splinter in his, in, his, uh, in his toe. And before that, he's gotten splinters before, and we were always able to get them out pretty easily. Uh, they're not a big deal. Uh, his, his in-laws would say things like, uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just cut it out, you know. And, and you tell like a three- or four-year-old you're going to cut something out, they just go insane. Like, you don't tell a four-year-old you're going to cut something out. So here he is. He has this big bliss. He has this big splinter in his toe. And he, Margie's gone. I gave, what happened was, I was like, hey, babe, I know I've been gone a lot and doing stuff. Why don't you, why don't you go to the coffee shop by yourself? I'll stay home with the kids and everything's going to be great. Well, things weren't great, okay? Elon gets a splinter and he is just screaming. Like, like our neighbors probably thought I was murdering him. Like, it was bad. He was screaming and I couldn't get him to sit still because he thought I was going to cut his toe open. I didn't even know how big the, the splinter was. Like, I didn't know anything. So I couldn't, I couldn't say anything to him. Like, oh, we're not going to have to cut it. Like, I was just like, you just got to sit still. So I'm, I'm like holding his legs, trying to, he's kicking me in the face. Like, it's, it's bad. So I text Margie. I'm like, hey, babe, you got to come home now. Like, I, like you just got to get home. Like, this kid is out of control, and I just need help. And so Margie races home, and in, 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 the, uh, in the, our driveway, she, just, he, she hears the screaming. Like, from our driveway, doors are closed. We got a, we got a storm door. Like, it's, it's loud. She hears it. She runs inside. She's like, what's going on? He's got a splinter. And she just starts, like, laughing because she can't believe all this over a splinter. 
But then she starts seeing, like, I, like, it was like, have you seen The Exorcism? If you haven't, I'm not saying you should go watch it. But, like, he was, like, convulsing. His art, back was arched. Like, it was bad. And I, so I'm holding him down. Margie comes. I decide I'm going to be the one. I'm just, like, holding him and just, just putting a lot of pressure, probably more than, than, than needed, but because he's just going crazy. And I'm holding him down, and Margie's looking at the toe, trying to get the splinter out. And I'm putting so much pressure on my son's arms and his chest, and his legs. Why? Because I, I want to help my son. If we have to cut his toe open, we've got to cut his toe we've got to take the pain away. The thing that's going to hurt him, get infected, and be bad for him, I've got to put some pressure on him and press him in some places, and he maybe even hurt him over up here so that we can make sure he doesn't get more hurt down here. Like, this is the heart of our Father God, where Man, things can be rough in our lives, and we're wondering, why is God doing this? And we can't see that it's not his anger or his wrath, but maybe it's his grace that this trial has come to, to, to make us more like Christ and to save us from further pain over here. Pain that would hurt, hurt much more, pain that would be worse, things that really could destroy us. And God's saving us from those things by allowing or maybe even sending some things over here to make sure we don't get more hurt. Like, is it, is, it, is it bad or wrong or, or, or cruel of God to, to take your fingers and pull them off the idol that's going to destroy your life, even if he breaks a finger when doing so? Is that cruel? No, that's God's grace. Like, idols will destroy your life. I'd rather have a broken finger than an idol just crushing me. And that's the God we have and the God we serve. And so we need to, to, to remember that he's good, that he's chosen us, that we're going to fight doubt, we're going to fight comparison, and, and if we can come to him and ask him, we'll understand that what, like, this is our joy. It's not going to feel joyful. Joyful is not, a, being, like, counting something joy isn't a feeling. I'm not saying Christians should walk around and be like, hey guys, everything's great, everything's fantastic. That's not what James is saying. Count it joy. Like know that, that this is for your good, that this is happening. Know that this is for your joy and God's glory. Right? And so that's why our mission statement is what it is. The, the Grove Church exists to see God glorified and enjoyed, even if that means suffering, even if that means trial. Because being like Christ and knowing him more is worth any trial, it's worth any suffering. Paul would know this best. Dude's been shipwrecked. Uh, he's on a mission trip. He gets shipwrecked, floats to, to this island. Then he gets bit by a snake. Like if anyone had, had call or reason to call it to God and say why, it was this guy. He's trying to be a missionary and just all these bad things keep happening. And he says, man, I, I, I want the, the fellowship of Christ and I want to share in his suffering so I can know him more. And that's our call and that's our desire. And so as I close, we'll, we'll sing together again and we will uh, partake in the Lord's Supper. And as we partake in the Lord's Supper, if you're a Christian here today and you want to come forward, you can come up here, grab some bread and some juice to remember all that God has done for you, to remember that he's good, to remember that he has chosen you, and to, and to be thankful and, and, and grateful for what he's done on the cross. You can do that. You can come up here, grab it, and then go back to your seat and take it with yourself or with your family if you have anyone or, or whatever. Um, but you can stand with us and we'll worship. I'll pray for us and then, and then we'll close with some announcements and another prayer. Father, God, I thank you so much for um, your word, God. I thank you for this letter from James, um, Lord, that we can just read it and, 
and be encouraged and be challenged, Lord, that, man, sometimes when, when we go through suffering, it just feels like you're angry with us. It feels like you're mad at us, Lord, but we know that's not true. As Christians, we know it's not your wrath, but it's your love, and you're a good, loving Father. So I pray that you would just um, be with us as we worship you, as we respond to your word, that if we're struggling with doubt, that we would come to you honestly. If we're struggling with comparison, Lord, we would come to you and confess that and ask you to take it away from us, um, and that you would just remind us here as we sing that you are good and that you chose us in Christ. Father, I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.